Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. As a quick note for all you yogis who are practicing social distancing and not going to class at your local yoga studio, Commune is launching a free virtual yoga studio where you can practice with great teachers online and interact digitally with your fellow yogis from around the globe. So just sign up for the Commune newsletter at onecommune.com for more information. Okay, so it's all coronavirus all the time right now. And since Commune is focused both on well-being and community, I think it's appropriate for us to devote some resources to both inform and discuss some of the implications of this emerging global pandemic. I've also found that there is a lot of misinformation which can stoke additional panic and hysteria. I'm watching messages and memes go viral pardon the poor pun, um, that are spreading dubious facts and creating more chaos. So I feel some civic responsibility to use this platform to provide solid information that can quell the uncertainty and fear that many people are feeling. And like many of you, I have personally run the gamut of emotions from initial head in the sand to midnight panic. But now, that I've been more closely following this science, I am understanding the risks better. And while I am alert, I am not as anxious. My mantra has been this, stay centered, follow the science, don't succumb to fear, spread information, not the virus. Okay, before I jump in, just a disclaimer, I am not a medical professional or a biologist, and this situation is very liquid. I'm recording this on March 14th, and I suspect we will see a lot of change over the next couple of weeks or even days. And by all accounts, the situation will likely get considerably worse over the coming weeks. The coronavirus pandemic has many different dimensions to it, from public health and personal behavior to politics and social welfare. So I am devoting this episode to covering a wide swath of these subjects. There is a lot we know and a lot we don't know. In this episode, I'll be outlining some basic facts on the pathogen, the symptoms, what we should do both individually and collectively, basic network theory, the political dimensions of the pandemic, and some general commentary on what the societal implications may be. All right, so I want to start with some basic facts, and this may seem redundant to many folks, but I think it's important to develop some general fluency around the topic, as knowledge can often assuage fear. Now, coronaviruses in general are a large family of viruses that cause illness ranging from the common cold to more severe diseases such as MERS and SARS, some of you might remember. A novel coronavirus is a new strain that has not been previously identified in humans. There are coronaviruses circulating regularly all the time. 
This novel coronavirus is the fifth seasonal virus and causes the disease COVID-19. It started in late, 19, uh, late 2019 and early 2020 in the Chinese city of Wuhan as a cluster of pneumonia cases with an unknown cause. It has been traced to animal markets in Wuhan. The signs of infection include respiratory symptoms, fever, cough, shortness of breath, and breathing difficulties. In more severe cases, infection can cause pneumonia and can be fatal. There's no current vaccine for the disease. The earliest estimates for the production and distribution of a vaccine is 12 months. There are some antiviral clinical trials underway, but estimates for antivirals range from three to six months. Currently, the data suggests that 80% of COVID-19 cases are mild, which may be actually contributing to the spread since reproduction, reproduction agents for the virus may be asymptomatic. So basically, you could be hanging out with people that seem completely healthy, but who are actually carrying the disease. Children do not appear to be contracting the disease at the rates of other cohort groups. And this may be attributable to the fact that children are subject to other coronaviruses and get colds throughout the flu season, and there may be some cross-immunity. We don't know that yet, but children may be vectors for the disease without having major symptoms. This is the sneaky nature of the virus. It is spreading quietly between people who do not appear ill. But this also gives us a good amount of control, as I will explain later in the episode. So the pathogen seems only moderately fatal, which in some odd way creates more potential community transmission as if mortality rates were high, the virus would kill its host before he or she had a chance to transmit it. So how do you get it? How is the disease spread? So coronavirus is a respiratory virus. It is generally spread through fluid emitted by coughs and sneezes. So someone who is carrying the virus doesn't cover their mouth when they sneeze and droplets spread out over a four to six foot radius. These droplets can land on you or on surfaces that you touch. We can then infect ourselves with those germs by touching our face and the viruses take up residence in our mucous membranes, which lead to an infection. This does not seem like a particularly hardy virus and will become benign on surfaces between four to 20 hours. I've seen a broad range. It can also be deactivated relatively easily by regular household cleaners. There does not appear to be any airborne spread. In other words, the virus does not linger in the air. So if you get in an elevator that was previously occupied by, the, by an infected agent, you are not going to contract the virus through breathing the air though you could get it by touching a surface that the infected person touched or coughed on. There have been a lot of comparisons to the flu. This season, approximately 31 million Americans have gotten the flu, and there will be about 30 to 35,000 fatalities. The biggest recent flu season was in 2017-2018, when 80,000 Americans died. The flu has a fatality rate of 
there have been a wide range of mortality rates associated with COVID-19, largely because there are so many undiagnosed cases that make the math impossible. Low fatality rate estimates are about 0.6%, and the higher estimates are closer to 3%. This puts COVID-19 at between 6 and 30 times more lethal than the flu. Now, there are avian viruses that have 50 to 60% fatality rates, but have not been transmitted human to human, just to give you um, the spectrum. The other metric to look at is the reproductive rate. Disease experts estimate that each COVID-19 sufferer infects between two to three others. That's a reproduction rate up to twice as high as seasonal flu, which typically infects 1.3 new people for each patient. Uh, but this is also well below doomsday species annihilating airborne transmitted flus. Who is at risk? Now, there are some clear susceptible cohort groups, including elderly folks, largely because they are more immune compromised. But anyone who is immune compromised of any age is susceptible. Also, people who suffer from chronic disease like diabetes and oddly males seem to be more susceptible and we don't know why. There could be a hormonal reason involving testosterone in the immune system, but we just don't know why. What do you do? Okay, here are some personal behaviors that you can engage in to reduce the risk of contracting the virus. And many of these seem obvious and you've heard them, but here they are. Now wash your hands for 20 seconds a dozen times per day. So that's happy birthday sung twice. Um, do not touch your face. I think we touch it 23 times an hour. Um, so you have to grow an awareness of not touching your face. Obviously no handshaking or hugs, resort to elbow bumps and Build your immunity. Um, take this opportunity to actually strengthen yourself and get into good shape if you can. Don't smoke. Uh, reduce sugar from your diet. It's not good for your immune system. Build up your microbiome with fermented foods and probiotics. Uh, eat a plant-based diet um, high in vegetables. Um, take supplemental vitamin C and vitamin D. Exercise is great. Um, try not to drink in excess, um, though you may be tempted. Uh, really get adequate sleep. And there is some indication that the virus does not like sun or heat. We don't know if it's going to be seasonal yet or not. Many coronaviruses are. So we might be going through the toughest time now uh, and it might relent in the summer months we don't know and it could come back in the fall with a vengeance as was the case in 1918.
The other key behavioral shifts relate to our civic responsibility as well as our own personal health. As citizens with a social responsibility to each other, uh, we need to engage in these behavioral shifts that prioritize our communal well-being. This specifically relates to social distancing. So here we go. Cancel all non-essential travel. Uh, work remotely if you can. Um, reduce or eliminate in-person meetings. Just do them uh by Zoom or Skype, consolidate errands and shopping. So in other words, do big shopping when you can and just don't go out as much and really cut back on going to gatherings, certainly large gatherings, most of which uh, have been now prohibited in many states. So the reason for social distancing is based in network theory. Every single one of us is a productive, is a potential reproductive agent for the pathogen. And as I mentioned prior, this virus is deceptive in that it can be non-symptomatic. So you can think that you're with healthy people. However, someone may unknowingly be carrying the disease and by act, interacting with them, you may become an agent for community spread. Now, engaging in this kind of social distancing flattens the epidemiological spread by disrupting the network. It's not just that you reduce the chances of you contracting the disease yourself. You also remove yourself as a contagion vector. So as I previously noted, for every person that gets infected, he or she infects three more people. So for those Gen Xers listening, you may remember the old head and shoulders commercial. She told two friends, and they told two friends, and they told two friends, and so on and so on. The spread becomes exponential, and this virus really only exists to propagate in the most Darwinian fashion. So individually, we can break the replication chain. Now, by flattening the spread, which is essentially people getting the virus over a longer stretched out period of time and instead of a big spike, we take the stress off our medical infrastructure, which may inevitably pu be pushed to the brink. And also a note, refrain from any uncritical non-essential medical procedures. We have only 2.8 beds per thousand people in the United States, so we're going to need every one of them and the staff to treat the severely afflicted. Ironically, right now, community is best served by not being too communal. Okay, so I hope that this basic information, while likely redundant in many cases, reduces some uncertainty and by extension fear which is the next thing that I would like to address. It is important to be informed and vigilant, but not fearful. Fear not only leads to anxiety, but it also leads to rash behavior that can inevitably be even more destructive than the epidemic itself. We can't slip into societal chaos where resources get hoarded and people turn against each other. To this point, I highly advise you to not get your information from politicians or biased 24-hour cable news. 
get it from scientists and reputable scientific sources such as the CDC, the John Hopkins website and newsletter, and the World Health Organization. As of today, the political leadership in the United States on this issue has been largely absent and misguided. And this is not an effort to turn the pandemic into a political football or malign the president. However, it is important to acknowledge the political context that we are in because it, in, it can impact our public behavior. So the first response from the president on coronavirus was the typical display of ignorant chest-thumping machismo. Instead of using the month of February to produce testing kits, coordinate with international allies, build healthcare infrastructure, etc., this administration essentially glibly dismissed the pandemic altogether. And then last Wednesday, the president gave a nationwide address that was, I mean, a crystallization of the administration's incompetence, uh, replete with numerous incorrect policy statements and complete lack of coordination with allies and aviation officials. So this led to the next morning, throngs of people flocked to airports across Europe during a pandemic. And there was a cessation of trading on the stock exchange floor to stem the biggest market crash, potentially, of the millennium. So, I mean, this president is both a well-documented germaphobe and xenophobe, and he's combined these lovable character traits to characterize the virus as a foreign threat. He's He's consistently framed coronavirus as an immigration issue instead of a public health issue did not once address the most basic notion of public testing in his address last Wednesday. I mean, currently in South Korea, where they seem to have considerably flattened the spread, officials are testing 20,000 people per day. I believe there's drive-through testing in South Korea. Here in the United States, through a combination of red tape bureaucracy and what I would call incompetence. There have been 15,000 total tests administered at the time of this recording. And our ability to generate new tests, testing kits, is not large. So again, my intention here is not to bash the president. It's simply to provide some political context. It is in exactly in these times of crisis when we need the government most. And we've seen China force quarantine, or, or more accurately, cordon sanitaire, on hundreds of millions of people, and they have significantly curtailed the spread of the virus. And the measures have been, at times, draconian, but by all accounts, they're working. Now, we live in a liberal democracy and not under an authoritarian regime. We do not want our civil liberties trampled or our privacy rights taken away. This is why civic engagement is so important. This is why you are so important. In the absence of leadership, it is incumbent on all of us to fully embrace our civic responsibilities. I mean, in a curious way, this time is reminiscent of 9-11. I lived in New York and ran a business two blocks north of the World Trade Center. And in those months after the tragedy, there was a collective grief that expressed itself all over the country, but specifically in in New York City, 
with strangers on the sidewalk or in the subway hugging and high-fiving, engaging in all sorts of random acts of kindness, 9-11, as tragic as it was, seemed to, for at least a time, elicit our better angels. And our current situation is obviously different in many respects. The crisis is not as abrupt and the viral spread is more insidious. That being said, I am witnessing some kind of similar shift in human behavior. There seems to be a reprioritization happening that I hope can bring out the best of us. In a way, the spread of corona literally reflects our interconnectivity. The pandemic starkly outlines our intertwined destiny and reminds us of our commune humanity, that we are not just individuals living amongst other individuals acting in our own self-interest, that we are actually connected by a power greater than ourselves. Unlike the aftermath of 9-11, the current realization of our shared humanity actually prohibits us from hugging random folks on the streets. The efforts we must engage in now for the sake of our communal well-being must take place, ironically, largely in private. And the coronavirus itself is apolitical. It does not discriminate on the base of race, gender, ethnicity, or sexual orientation. And there is an opportunity here to transcend the atomized individualism that has led to a fractured and polarized society. In our collective hands, we have tremendous power to stop the spread of this pathogen and forge a new story of connection instead of separation. And if we can get through this together, it may actually bring us together. Okay, that's it for today's show. I hope some of this information was helpful and relieved some anxiety about coronavirus. Obviously, we'll all be watching this closely. If you have any thoughts feel free to email me at jeffk at onecommune.com. And for now, stay centered, follow the science, don't succumb to fear, and spread knowledge, not the virus. 